Uh, turn with me, if you will, to uh, Luke chapter 23, uh, verses 32 through 43. You can find it in your service sheets. You can also turn there in your Bibles if you have them. Uh, that would be wonderful. We're, we're finishing up our, our series at looking at uh, the essentials of the Christian faith. What are the, the essential things, the, the really basic things that, that we hold to as, as followers of Jesus? Uh, and we've said up, up till now that, that uh, we believe that, that God has, has spoken into our world. Uh, we believe that we're that we're broken people, that we're we're sinners, uh, but we believe that that Jesus uh, died for us. He he gave himself for us. That he's he's uh, renewing us. And then tonight, uh, we're seeing that he actually makes us a really big promise, uh, a wonderful promise, the promise of of a great and glorious future. And we hear that tonight in this this passage from Luke, chapter twenty three, verses thirty two through forty three. Uh, this is Jesus uh, at his crucifixion. And this is God's word. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God stands forevermore. Uh, Imagine you go on a wonderful holiday, uh, the dream holiday to, to Hawaii. And you spend some, some of the, the best days of, uh, that, that you can remember, some of the best days of your life, uh, relaxing on the beach, uh, enjoying uh, the beautiful surroundings, uh, eating some amazing food. But then you wake up one morning to, to a loud rumbling sound. The whole, the whole earth seems to be shaking. And you hear the sound of, of people outside your door yelling. And you walk outside and you, you see that, that the island's volcano is, is erupting. And there's a, a wave of molten hot lava oozing out towards you. And so without even thinking about it, without even stopping to, to grab anything, you just take off running, don't you? You run for your life. You don't, uh, you don't even pay attention to where you're going. You just start going there. And you, you, you just want to get away, don't you? Uh, then you pull up to this, this sudden stop because you find yourself uh, standing on the precipice 500 meters above uh, uh, rock and waves and behind you you see the the smoke and the red glow of of the lava slowly closing in on you and you realize that these are the the last moments now what do you do with them you see in our passage this evening we we meet two men who who reach the precipice of death alongside jesus it's probably one of the the starkest and, and most stunning scenes in in all of scripture two men 
both on the, the precipice of death, but, but, but two very different reactions to Christ. And one very big promise from Jesus. What, what does he promise to, to the one criminal in their dying moments together? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. It's a passage that should, should get our attention, shouldn't it? It should shake us to our core because it's, it's unflinching about, about one simple reality, one simple fact, that we all face death. It's coming for all of us, and we have no idea when. We want to assume it's a long way off, but there's, there's no guarantees of that. Maybe, maybe you don't end up uh, in a volcanic eruption in Hawaii, but there's, there's a lot of buses in London, aren't there? We risk our lives every day crossing the streets. So how do we deal with death and what comes after? Death is coming, but the, the good news of the, the Christian faith is that, that we, we have a real and concrete hope. And Jesus presents that to us tonight. Jesus promises here a, a glorious and, and immediate future for those who trust in him. And that's what I, I want us to, to understand this evening. Is in, in these, these remarkable few words that the death of Jesus is actually an, an incredible and glorious hope for you and I. And tonight I want us to, to see it in, in four things. Uh, four things that we see. Uh, uh, first, a, a hardened, dying thief. Secondly, a, a humble, dying thief. Third, a, a promising dying Savior. And fourth, a simple question, which, which are you? Where do you fit? So first, let's, let's get to know this, this hardened dying thief. We're presented with, with these three men, uh, one of whom is Jesus, but the other two are, are two men who, under the Roman law, actually deserved to be there. They were criminals, most likely thieves and, and, and probably murderers. And Roman law was, was harsh and unforgiving, the historian uh, Tom Holland wrote a, a brilliant book a few years back called Dominion, and in, in it he, he describes just, just how brutal Roman law was. He, he describes this scene outside of Rome where, where uh, there was just this field that was just full of crosses, kind of like the, the three crosses here, but, the, but, but just imagine a, a forest of them, probably hundreds in this field that he described. It's a, it's a forest of, of, of crosses that, that each represent a criminal life that was slowly and excruciatingly taken. He goes on to describe, uh, believe it or not, even, even more uh, horrible forms of, of deadly Roman punishment that I won't get into this evening. But, but suffice it to say, Roman justice was, was slow and it was brutal. And we see that, that, that it left time for reflection, don't we? So I want us to stop for a moment tonight and reflect on the response of these two men who were, who were hung on the crosses on either side of Jesus. Luke gives us a sense for the madness and the chaos of the scene, doesn't he? Jesus being mocked and scoffed at by the soldiers and officials. You can, can almost hear the jeering. Then you, you hear the words of this, this first criminal, when he deserves to be where, where he is under the law, and his life is, is slowly draining from him. And how does he respond to Jesus and the certainty of death? Well, he joins in the jeering, doesn't he? Look at verse 39. One of the criminals who, who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. There's a real hard-heartedness there, isn't there? This man is, is really uh, very defiant. He's what we may say, uh, he, we may say he's, he's refusing to go quietly into that cold, dark night. Now let me ask you to, to judge based on what you, what you know about him. Does, does he seem brave to you? 
Does he seem like the, the kind of person whose view of death we should embrace and emulate? I want to suggest that this is a, a man who represents how, how many of us and many people in our culture view life and death. He's lived without regret, hasn't he? He's done whatever it was he, he wanted to do. He had no respect for, for the law or for his fellow man. He, he robbed. He likely killed. And then he got caught and he, he has no remorse that we can see. And here he is dying, and, and rather than being concerned for, for his soul, he goes down to the grave, joining in the mocking of an innocent man. Why? Why? I think it says something about his view of death. At least it should. Maybe he thought death was just the end. Maybe he thought, he thought death was, was just the next great adventure. That's what we say about death, isn't it? How do we think about death? Well, most of us try not to. Our response tends to be oblivious. We, we play dumb, don't we? I have a, a friend that says there's nothing to worry about when it comes to death. She says death is, is beautiful and it's just the, the rearranging of our, our molecules and our energy. It'll be beautiful. It'll be okay. People want to believe things like that, don't they? You know, even, even Dumbledore, who I know we all agree was Hogwarts' greatest headmaster and a man I personally have a great deal of respect for, said... That, that, that death, set of death, that, that to the well-organized mind, death is just the next great adventure. And maybe on the, the surface that, that might sound really wise to some of us, maybe even a bit comforting, but, but if you stop and you think about it for a moment, you realize there's, there's nothing in that, is there? There's nothing there. Dumbledore's just trying to give a bit of comfort where there's none to be had. So what this, this hardened dying thief exposes about us is just how, how unprepared we are for dying. I think the, the reason we're so poorly prepared for it is because uh, none of us has an answer for it, do we? Like this dying thief, we're slowly having our lives drained away and we're, we're completely ignoring the fact that it's happening and that, that there, there's something better. You see, the real tragedy of this, this hardened thief was, was not so much the life that he wasted, and it wasn't even the death he died. It was, it was the fact that he, he saw the promise of, of something better hanging there next to him. He saw real hope hanging there next to him. But his sin had so hardened him that he would rather join in the mocking than repent. And it seems completely mad. But so many of us are, are sleepwalking to death until we find ourselves on the precipice. And even at the precipice, there are many like this hardened criminal who, who don't even care. And they just go the way of the lemming. They follow the crowd. But then we see something else, don't we, in this, this second man? We see something very different, don't we, in, in, in this, this humbly, humble dying thief. Let's look back at verses 40 to 42. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. See, this is a man who's coming to terms with who he is, what he's done and where he's going. Who is he and what's, he's done, what's he done? He's a, he's a man under condemnation. He's a criminal and he's been caught and convicted. And most of all, he recognizes that, that he deserves to be where he is. You can debate the rightness of the death penalty in, in, in Roman law, but that's, that's like an upper-level debate, isn't it? 
That's like the kind of thing that a that a secondary school teacher assigns you to to debate as a as a topic because they want to see if you can think. You can debate that if you want, but what I'm talking about here is is the the simple black and white. Under the Roman law, this man deserved to die, and he admits that here, and he recognizes that that his his guilt extends beyond simply the civil law, but that he's guilty in the eyes of God. That's what's so profound about what he says. This man, a criminal, looks looks at Jesus and he, he sees innocence. And he sees a man who, who's done no wrong. Perhaps he, he, he had heard of Jesus. Perhaps he'd, he'd heard him teach at some point. We, we won't know until we reach glory ourselves, will we? But for now, we, we should stop and listen to the, the observations of this criminal. He knows Jesus has done nothing wrong. And he seems to know that, that Jesus is going somewhere that, that he himself isn't. Why does he ask Jesus to remember him when he enters his kingdom? Because this is a man on the precipice. His death is coming upon him sooner than it's likely to come upon any of us here tonight, we hope. And he sees only one hope and, and only one possibility to live. And that's if the, the man hanging next to him can pass through death and find life. He recognizes that he has nothing to offer or to bring. or All he can do is, is ask for Jesus to help, to show mercy, to remember him. And that, folks, is the sobering reality of all our lives, isn't it? You may not be killed as a, as a criminal, but as we, we've said in previous weeks, we're all guilty before God. And we have no righteousness or goodness to offer that is sufficient to make up for all the things that we've done. And this criminal, this, in, in his dying moments, is, is living the most honest moment of his whole life. And it took dying next to salvation itself for him to recognize it. But the beauty of this moment is, is that, that we see the heart of Jesus for this man and for all of us. We see the heart of Jesus exposed for hardened sinners. See, Jesus has an answer for him, doesn't he? And he has an answer for you and I, and that's, that's what we see in our third point, a, a, a promising dying Savior. What does Jesus say to this man? Look, at, look again at, at verse 43, and he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And we desperately need to understand exactly what Jesus is promising here, don't we? It's, ex it's actually a really bold and loaded thing for a dying man to tell another dying man that they're going to enjoy paradise together. Is this just, just Jesus trying to be nice? Is it like Dumbledore saying that death is just the next great adventure as long as you crush it in your mind, Vice? There's one word here, one very key word, that I think points to the fact that Jesus is actually offering something very different than mere kindness and powerless comfort. It's the word truly. Jesus says, truly I say to you, and this little word on the, the surface seems ins insignificant to us. But Jesus is actually making, making a promise here to this man. And he's putting his, his full authority and character behind it. The Greek word is literally uh, where we get the word amen. Which means so be it. It's how we end all of our prayers. It's not just a, a way to end a prayer. It's a, it's a term of, a, of authority. We pray it because we, we pray in the name of Jesus, don't we? And Jesus has the authority to bring the things we pray for to pass. And so we say, Amen. So be it. 
So when he says truly, or when, when he, Jesus says amen, there's power and there's force behind that, what follows. He's promising this man, this, this criminal paradise on that very day. And this, folks, is where we see the very heart of God and the, the heart of Jesus towards sinners like you and I. If you ever doubt the love of Christ for you, then, then look at this moment. In the most honest moment of this criminal's life, when he faced his own mortality and as, as he, he, he faced the truth of, of the wickedness of the things he'd done, this man calls out to Jesus. And Jesus offers him the hope of a glorious future. And this is the very heart of the Christian faith right here. Jesus is being tortured to death. And he's being crucified between two criminals, two men who under Roman law the, and God's law were deserving of death. And in this moment, he's, he's ready to receive this man into his kingdom. Why? It's a critical question, actually. Why is Jesus prepared to die, to, or to receive this man into his kingdom, into paradise? And how can we be sure he's even able to offer it? How can we, we be sure he can bring us through death and offer the, us this glorious future? I'll tell you exactly why. Because Jesus is paying the penalty. He's paying the real penalty, the ultimate penalty, for this man's sins. And for the sins of everyone who who believes in him and calls out to him, as this humble, dying criminal did. About 20 years ago, I I think it was, uh, Mel Gibson's film, uh, The Passion of the Christ, came out. And at the time, I... So I'm dating myself a bit, but, but at the time there was this, this controversy that, that erupted over, over how Gibson depicted uh, the Jews in this film. Uh, some, some thought that, that he made it out as, as if the, the Jews had put Jesus to death. Uh, others wanted to say that, that it was the Romans uh, who put Jesus to death. And the, the truth is that, that it was actually the Father. It was the wrath of, of the Father that was poured out on his Son, at his death, the wrath that we deserved. It was the Father that that sent Jesus, and it was Christ himself in his obedience to the Father that put Jesus to death. And in in this death, the, the perfect spotless Lamb of God was given to satisfy the justice of God for you and I. And because of that, Jesus can, can invite you and me and, and, and any other criminal he likes who's willing to, to accept him by faith into his kingdom. That's what's going on here. It's the very heart of the gospel. It's the very heart of the Christian faith here this evening. It's the very heart of God for you and I that we're seeing uh, laid out here before us. The very question this leaves us is, with is, is, which are you? Where do you land in this? There's, there's two criminals, one dying in denial. He's hardened and he's cynical. He joins the crowd who hated him and wanted him killed in mocking Jesus, the other man that the crowd hated and wanted killed. It almost seems insane, but, but that's actually how our hearts work, isn't it? And the other criminal the, was honest and he was humble, and, and, and maybe that was for the, the first time in his life. Maybe for the first time in his life, he recognizes where, where he truly deserves to be. And he realizes he can do nothing to better his outcome. And so he humbles himself on the cross. And he asks for mercy and grace from Jesus. Which, which, which are you?
Every one of us has to relate to one of these men. Are you the one who's, who's going to, to stubbornly stand on, on the precipice and give death the, the two-finger salute as it takes you? And then has, I did it my way, sung at your funeral? Are you, or are you the one who sees the hopelessness of your situation? And the utter madness of seeing it any other way and, and you grab onto the one and only hope that's there in Christ. Which are you? As we come to the end of this, this little series on, on the essentials of the, the Christian faith, what I, I hope you, you can see is, is not just the, the beauty of the Christian faith, the, the wonder of it, the, but, but actually the reasonableness of it as well. Which of these two men were, were more reasonable? Which one made the most sense? There's a, a 17th century philosopher and mathematician named Blaise Pascal who, who put forward a, a, what I think is a, a compelling argument for the re reasonableness of, of faith in Christ. Uh, the idea being that, that God either uh, exists or, or he doesn't. And if you trust in Jesus and he exists, then, then you gain eternal glory. And if you believe in, in him and he doesn't exist, then, then what do you really lose? Here's what he said. He said, let's, let's weigh the gain and the loss in wagering that God is. Let us estimate these two chances. If you gain, you gain all. If you lose, you lose nothing. Wager then, without hesitation, that he is. You see, the, the wager here at this this hillside outside of Jerusalem nearly 2,000 years ago. And these three crosses. And you have two men with, with nothing more to lose. And one slaps away the hope that is, is before him while the other reaches out to it with his dying breath. Which one is more reasonable? And which one are you? Let us pray. Thank you.